Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. This episode of the podcast is brought to you from Treaty 1 territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Ojibwe, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Another weekend of CFL football has come and gone, and we're officially in the stretch drive of the season. Just three weeks to go, a couple of teams clinching playoff spots already, and uh, still a couple up for grabs as we get into the final few weeks of the season. We're here to talk about everything from week number 13 in the CFL and tee up week number 14 as well. Uh, Mike, how are you doing this week? Not too bad, not too bad. Like I said, I mean, I look forward to this recording every week, and uh, this week is no exception. Right on, me as well. Let's dive right into it. A uh, Halloween weekend in the CFL, and uh, well, there were some uh, some spooky results, perhaps, for some teams here this week. Uh, let's start off with the first game of the week. And uh, the Calgary Stampeders and the Ottawa Red Blacks, many people expecting a blowout from Calgary in this one. Uh, they do pull out the win 26-13, but uh, it was looking a little dicey early on in this one, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and I think if I may, I, I, would have to, I would have to kind of use some kind of a term that I saw and heard Milt Steedle use. To me, there's something not right about Calgary this year. I, I, I haven't been able to quite uh, pinpoint it. Obviously, they start of the season um, losing Bowley by Mitchell, coming back to, uh, you know, sort of salvage their season. And then, you know, last week ha- happened where it was a slow start. It, I haven't been able to quite pinpoint what has happened over there. Um, I, I know Mel Steedle referenced it to uh, perhaps they were uninspired. I, I wouldn't go maybe that far, but, you know, this isn't the Calgary team that we've been accustomed to over the last number of years. And it just makes me wonder why. And I know they're getting some reinforcements bad from the National Football League, but you know, now you're looking at a team like Calgary having to more than likely uh, play a West semifinal in Regina and then come to Winnipeg to play a West final if they're fortunate enough to win, and I don't know, maybe it's just the fact that I'm not used to seeing Calgary where they are in the standings, but for whatever reason, it takes them a little bit extra, you know, to get moving in a football game, and and that's really curious to me. Well, I, I, Calgary always seems to, as good as they've been for many years, always seems to have a couple teams that they have problems with every time, and they arguably shouldn't. You know, many years it was Montreal, when Montreal was kind of bottom of the barrel in terms of the CFL standings. And go into Montreal, the Stampeders always struggled there. I also feel like Ottawa's in that category. I can think of games, I think I said this on the podcast last week that I was really tempted to take Ottawa in this game because I did it back week one in 2019 and it paid off uh, in that game because you know Ottawa came out. I remember that game 
uh, and kind of shell-shocked Calgary. I think Dominic Davis maybe threw like 300 yards and three touchdowns in that game. Uh, but the Stampeders, they start slow. Ottawa does jump out to a 10-3 to lead at the end of the first quarter in this one, but Calgary outscoring them 23-3 to the rest of the way. Uh, the Stampeders did find a way to get it done, and I think a large portion of that is we're seeing Calgary more than we have in recent years lean heavily on the run game. And I like to see that because Kadeem Carey has, you know, I, I feel like the last couple of seasons, there was such a rotation of running backs for Calgary. And now it's very clear who the starting running back is. And uh, he's having a fantastic season. I believe he's second in rushing yards only behind uh, William Stanback, which is to be fair, going to be a hard guy to catch in that regard, but a uh, great season for Kadeem Carey. Yeah, and you know what? To me, to me, Kadeem Carey is one of those guys, to me, that's been un- underrated a little bit. Um, largely for the part that I could never understand, like you said, why they didn't stay with him and anoint him the number one. It always seemed to be that, that, uh, Sort of that hybrid. We'll see who, you know, who's going, and that'll be the guy. But this is the first time I would say, you know, since the John Cornish era, where there's been that one guy who we can say, okay, you know, Kadeem Carey is the running back every week, and I think he's thrived in that type of situation, and I think in on in most years would be leading the Russian title. But like you said, I mean, for William Stambath to do what he's doing, it's just amazing. I think I think he leads the lead in, you know, 175-plus yard games. I know he's done a couple of them. He has for sure one game over 200. And remember, he left that game early, too, with uh, a bit of a situation where he got hurt. I realized there was only, you know, three minutes or so left in that team, but he could have easily added on. And I, I I think it's it's a good situation for Calgary. It's a good situation for for Zambath uh, as well. And then, you know, in the playoffs, you need more of a run-pass, you know, balance, which Calgary is finally getting to which is why I would give them a puncher's chance against the Riders, because while we know how little they seem to want to run, you know, William Powell, and then cold weather games, it's a matter of pounding the football. It's not necessarily, you know, throwing for 300 yards. It's that, you know, let's throw for 175, let's rush for 125, 150, don't turn the ball over and go from there. So, from that standpoint, too, I, I think Calgary is going to benefit long term. But yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I'm really intrigued by this uh, West semifinal here, which is more than likely going to happen, um, just because the teams saw each other so much so recently. Yeah, I just looked at the stats on the rushing title. Uh, William Stanback is at 960 yards. Kadeem Carey is second at 784. And Carey has played three more games than Stanback. That just speaks to the dominance that uh, the Montreal running back has had this season. But 
Uh, just on carry, I mean, yeah, second in rushing yards, second in the league in rushing touchdowns behind uh, only uh, Sean McGuire of the backup quarterback of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, I think it's safe to say, at least on the offensive side of the ball, like end of season MOP nominees for Calgary, I think Kadeem Carey has got to be the guy because uh, Bo Levi Mitchell hasn't exactly had a great season at quarterback. He's been average, I would say. Uh, in a lot of the games, uh, receiving-wise, they spread the ball around to so many different receivers that not one necessarily has jumped out. I mean, maybe Kamar Jordan, you know, is uh, near the tops in the league, I think, in receiving yards and has missed a couple of games. But uh, I would definitely say Kadeem Carey has been a real bright spot for the Stampeders this season. And you mentioned, uh, you know, shifting to the passing game a little bit. You mentioned they're getting some help back from the NFL. Uh, this could be a huge boost for this team down the stretch as uh, Reggie Bagleton has now re-signed with the Stampeders, went to the NFL, I believe was with the Green Bay Packers. But, yep. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, so with the, with the Packers, but uh, is returning to the CFL and assigned with Calgary for the remainder of the season. So a nice little boost they're getting in that regard for the uh, the postseason here in Calgary. But let's shift over to the Ottawa side of things and uh, talk about this game from the Red Blacks perspective. You know, I thought it was a little bit interesting that last game, I think it was against Hamilton the week before, they kind of split 50-50 the time at quarterback between Caleb Evans and uh, Devlin Hodges. And I expected that to be the case again this week, but uh, Hodges does not get in for any snaps. Caleb Evans plays the entire game, uh, goes 51.7 completion percentage, 173 yards, a touchdown, didn't throw any picks this time, which is an improvement there. And then rushed eight carries for 68 yards. Uh, so a decent performance. I wouldn't say the rushing the rushing yardage is definitely impressive. I mean, he was their leading running back on the day. Um, but the passing game kind of uninspiring. Uh, what did you make of this? Uh, are you surprised uh, they didn't uh, pull him in favor of Hodges in, later in the game? No. You know what? I, I, I think... I think, and I'm trying to say this as politely as possible, I, I don't think it would have mattered who was that quarterback uh, for Ottawa in, in this particular game anyway. Because um, once Calgary got moving, I I noticed that, you know, they were always one step ahead. Now, I realize the quarterback change, you know, can kind of flip that game on a dime, but you know, you don't want to put a quarterback with um, very little experience or no experience in the CFL into that kind of situation. Um, I fully expect there to be a change at quarterback, whether it's this week or in the coming weeks, um, especially as it speaks to... Uh, name escapes me right now, but... Uh, you don't bring in a guy on a long-term three-year contract that quarterback to sit on the bench. That's just at least how I see it. And if you think he is the guy, which the contract suggests that they believe that, let's see him start a game 
and let him get his feet wet this year so he hits the ground running uh, next year. Who has a three-year contract? Duck Hodges? Yep, yep, Duck Hodges. That was the day, yep. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was a three-year contract for him. Yeah, I'm interested to see who they start at quarterback going forward uh, because this is trial period for next year for Ottawa. And, uh, you know, Matt Nichols and Dominic Davis, I think, are both coming off the six-game injured list this week. I don't think they've practiced either of them yet this week. But surely, at this point in the season, you don't go back to either of them if you're Ottawa, right? You stick with either Evans or Hodges and give them the playing time to uh, see if one of them is the quarterback for the future. So that's part one of my question. And then part two is, and I know we're going to talk about this in the off season as well, but are any of these quarterbacks on the roster right now, your starting quarterback going into 2022? Oh, right now, I mean, you have one guy that had the history of, you know, being a starting quarterback, but hasn't really played up to that capability this year, and that's why perhaps, 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 and I'm saying if you want to, and Matt Nichols is able to, I mean, you could look at getting him a start, especially if you know for sure that he's not coming back just to audition him for other teams. Because if you're in a situation where you have to trade for him, or you trade him, which seems very unlikely at this point. Uh, no disrespect intended to Matt Nichols. Other teams want to know what they're dealing with. Now, it seems counterproductive if you've already decided who your quarterback is. But to answer your question, I don't know if we can answer that question as to who their quarterback is when, you know, there seems to be other deficiencies letting this football team down. And I'd like to see them build a team around the quarterback and then stick with that quarterback. Because to me, there's not a lot of talent. I mean, yeah, there's talent on, you know, the offensive, you know, and defensive sides of the ball. But if you look at a team like, say, Winnipeg, or if you look at a team like Saskatchewan that has a little bit more depth, it allows their quarterback to succeed. And we've seen that, obviously, with uh, Zach Kowalos this year. And so I wouldn't be so quick to write off, you know, certain quarterbacks and certain performances because much like the general manager, the coach is, you know, given with what he has to work with. And, you know, the quarterback has to work with the offense that he's been given. So... I guess my my long-winded answer is I don't know if any of them are because I don't believe that Ottawa has put their quarterbacks in a position to be successful. And that's why I'm really, really reluctant that Ottawa has to be careful what they do with that Hodges because when they have a quarterback for a a three-year contract, you don't necessarily want to throw them in there have his confidence frayed, and then you have um, a situation that kind of evolves. So that's my long-winded answer for that is I don't know. Um, I, I think they need to bring in a couple of receivers. I think they need to 
shore up that offensive line before they can have a discussion about a quarterback. And, and to be fair, and uh, totally agree with everything you say there, uh, I think who is the starting quarterback going into next year uh, will only be decided once we know who the general manager going into next year is, because obviously they're going to want to put their own stamp on this football team. But uh, we talked last week about the uh, dismissal of Marcel Desjardins as GM of the Red Blacks, and so some of his assistants have taken over the role in the meantime and uh well they uh, they had a first good move in my books uh you know i love this guy i talk about him on the podcast any chance i can uh re-signing Devonte deadman to a one-year contract extension this week uh deadman has missed the past couple of games uh will be uh is a full participant in practice this week which is encouraging i thought he was going to be done for the year but this is a guy in very limited time this year uh, and last season already, you know, in, I want to say like nine games, he has like nine or I think now it's 14, but in 14 games, he has like four kick return touchdowns. It's absurd. Uh, I am so excited that Ottawa is bringing him back and you want to talk about pieces to build the team around. I think that's one of them there. And not only in the kick return game, I want to see them go full Brandon Banks with him next year. I want to see him be a starting receiver in that offense. He's got the talent. He's got the the burst of speed to do it. I think that's a cornerstone for Ottawa to build a future around right there. And I'm happy to see him back for another year. This is the kind of move that restores hope and confidence in a locker room. Because when you don't have a general manager, when you don't have a great season, you start to question what is going on. And it seems like these interim general managers, name escapes me, that they have in there right now, is trying to send a message to the locker room to say, hey, we have a plan going forward and let's not kid ourselves trying to put a feather in his cap to get the full-time job and be at least under consideration. So you need a guy like Devontae Debman in the lineup. You need a guy like that on your team. You need somebody of that stature to send a message to um, send a message to your locker room. But yes, we still plan to to be competitive and win football games and win championships regardless of what has happened over the last two years. So this is a great first step if you want to talk about first impressions. And we'll we'll see what happens. Um, I, I, I have no doubt that Ottawa will one day be returned to a perennial great top caliber team. And I'm excited to see how they get there. This seems to be an ownership group that has a vision. Um, let's hope they put somebody in place that, you know, honors and likes working with Paul Apolis, which I think is the plan. Which is why I think really one of their assistant general managers will probably get the, the full-time job since she more than likely already endorses uh, Paul Apolis. So all hope is not lost, and it's a huge step 
in the right direction, getting the guy like Devontae Dedman to sign on the dotted line. Because those are the types of players, quite honestly, that see chaos and search and escape route at their first uh, available opportunity. We saw that in Winnipeg when, you know, the Bombers were the lean years of, um, when the Bombers were in the lean years of the previous regime before this one, it seemed like they had trouble retaining guys. And that only compounded to the problem. So really, 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 really happy that, you know, Deadman gets re-signed. And I think it speaks a lot to the character of it. I like Devontae Deadman, who wants to see this through to the end. So major thumbs up all the way around for me on this one. Let's move on to the second game on Friday night. The Hamilton Tiger Cats beating the Edmonton Elks 39 to 23. Uh, it hasn't been a good year for the Elks, uh, but surprisingly, despite, you know, being bottom of the standings, they have had the best passing defense in the CFL or one of the top couple uh, in terms of lowest passing yards allowed. But Cheremiah Mazzoli for the third straight week is just, torn a defense apart uh 70% completion percentage 357 yards three touchdowns touch on that more in a minute but the real big news story here Mike is proclaim it from the mountaintops the Hamilton Tiger Cats finally have a run game 16 carries 120 yards and a touchdown for one Don Jackson who finally gets his first start in a Tiger Cats uniform all the way in week number 13 uh, to me, this was the storyline of the game is, you know, I've talked about this at so often, uh, both, the, both here on the podcast and, you know, doing fantasy previews each week of stay away from the tie cats. Cause you don't know who's getting the ball. They don't have a, a go-to guy that's going to get all of the carries, you know, Sean Thomas Erlington's been that guy, uh, a lot this year, but still they, they employ, you know, they use two to three running backs in a game. They have three receivers that run the ball. Uh, no, Don Jackson carried the load here. And this could be a huge boost. Uh, you know, a healthy, a fresh legs of Don Jackson coming down the stretch here. Uh, I think this is a really good thing to see from the tie cats. Yep. And to be honest with you, I, I, I am disappointed in what we've seen from Sean Thomas Erlington, I'm not quite sure what's up with that. If he's injured or, you know, a little bit banged up. But it seems like they finally seem to find something that works as far as uh, the in- uh, sorry, as far as the running bats go. Um, let Let's see. I I want them to stick with Don Jackson. Uh, he, he's a guy that's really, really intrigued me. I think he started in Calgary, if memory serves me correct. And, uh, you know, he, he's a guy that's intrigued me all the way back to his Calgary days. And, you know, certain guys just wait for opportunities. And I hope they continue to give Don Johnson that opportunity because he was given one in this last game. And no pun intended, Ryan wanted. <laughs> I like I like the pun there. 
Yeah, 539 yards of offense for the Ticats in this game. The defense did pretty well. You know, Edmonton did put 23 points on the board to their credit and uh, and some decent yardage down the stretch of the game. But uh, a lot of that, I think, was in garbage time late in the fourth quarter. In the first three quarters of this game, Hamilton outscoring Edmonton, uh, what was it, 29 to 7. Uh, and then the Elks outscored them 16 to 10 in the fourth quarter. But everything seems to be rolling at the right time for the Ticats now. And this is, I think we kind of, you know, foresaw this earlier in the season. We talked about it here on the podcast, that real slow start to the year for the Ticats. Uh, they had a lot of injuries early on in the season. They've still had some, you know, down in the latter half of the year here. Braylon Addison, for example, is back on the six-game injured list and missed this last game uh, for Hamilton. But it seems like we we kind of figured this was still a good team. All the talent is there, and it was just going to take time. And once everyone was healthy, they were going to be a force down the stretch of the season. And I'll say this now. I think the Ticats are the uh, are my favorites to come out of the East, just like we said preseason. I think we'll see Hamilton in the Grey Cup this year at home. Yeah, and I also think that, you know, when, when, when you think of Hamilton being a complete team, the running, the running situation is really the only question mark that I have about them. Uh, cause you have to remember, they're playing a lot of cold-weather games here coming up. I mean, the weather here in Winnipeg this morning is like minus 9, minus 10, and your wind chill is like minus 12 or minus 13, and we're in the first week of November now. We're one, week, we're one month away from, you know, what's going to be a West final in Winnipeg. And then a week later, December 12th, is the Grey Cup. Um, it, it's it's going to have to be that, you know, Hamilton is going to need a running game if they want to get to where they want to go. And that's something I think that uh, hurt them last year in the Grey Cup was, you know, the Bombers did a great job of taking away their running game, uh, neutralizing their running game. I know there were, you know, a lot of interceptions, but when I look at Hamilton, to me, their only outstanding question is, can they find a a running game? And it appears, at least for this week, they have. Again, I say this, like quarterbacks would start their first game and win their first game and look like they're going to win an MOP award. Let's see the follow-up. Because I liked what I saw, and at the dive, it finally gets an opportunity. Stick with it. And there's been a lot of guys that have finally gotten their opportunities this year. I mean, the coming out party for the Ticats, everybody coming into the year talked about Brandon Banks, Braylon Addison, uh, Jalen Ackland to some extent. But the two stars almost, it seems, for the team this year have been Tim White and Stephen Dunbar. Uh, who both, you know, if you play CFL fantasy, have been still kind of in a middle price range and have been some of the uh, most consistently hitting their value receivers on the year. They led the way again this week, 89 yards for White, 76 for Dunbar, both picked up a touchdown. Um, So they're getting production from guys we didn't necessarily think were going to lead the way earlier this year. 
On the defensive side of the ball, they, their lineup has been pretty consistent for the most part in the last number of weeks in terms of guys not needing to rotate in and out as much due to injury. They have had some, uh, but they've been balling on defense as well this year. So things are rolling well for the Ticats uh, at this point in the season. I think this is the exact time of year you want to get hot as a team Uh, switching over to the other side of things and looking at this game from the Elks perspective. uh, I was a little bit disappointed with what we saw from Taylor Cornelius in this game. Uh, He did end up with, you know, 250 yards passing a couple yards along the ground as well, but no touchdowns to be fair. He also didn't throw any interceptions. Uh, But the, the, we talked last week about the big, uh, Nick Arbuckle trade for the Alps and Arbuckle was going to be coming in and he's at this point uh, that we're recording this Wednesday morning he he's completed his quarantine and I believe he is practicing with the team now so you have to think they're gonna give Arbuckle a start or two down the stretch here I kind of felt like this was Taylor Cornelius's uh, big chance to you know show them why he should still be the guy going forward and I don't know if it was uh, well, it was probably a mix, honestly, of Hamilton's got a pretty good pass defense. Uh, Cornelius is still an inexperienced quarterback, and he's not getting a ton of help from his receivers. Uh, do you agree with this take, or uh, do you see this a little bit differently? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And one of the interesting scenarios here. And uh, I don't know if we've touched on this already, but it seems like a very good time to bring up the contract extension for Nick Arbuckle, um, which, I don't know about you, screams to me that that is starting quarterback money. And let's see what, let's let the guy, that being Arbuckle, play the last couple games and start to send a bit of a tone message to the locker room that this is what we're going to get next year. Uh, no disrespect to Taylor, Taylor Tenerius, but it's almost like the lead is figuring them out. Um, and I think if I was to put, you know, top five disappointments in the CFL this year, uh, Brandon Bates would be one of them. I know he's been injured uh, an, an awful lot. Uh, same with Raven Addison. But very close on that list would be the Edmonton Elks. I remember saying I thought they were going to finish first in the West with what they had, and those to show that a piece of paper is just that. And let's start building forward, um, and let's get Nick Arbuckle in at quarterback as soon as possible, and let him try to reinvigorate a fan base, reinvigorate a locker room, and let's see. Yeah, I think I think you got to down the stretch. Uh, I don't know if Edmonton is officially eliminated from the playoffs at this point. If not, I think they uh, basically need a lot of magic to happen uh, down the stretch at a 2-8 and eight record to have them make the playoffs. But uh, as far as I am aware, they are uh either eliminated or really close so now much like ottawa they're in trial mode for next year and i'm interested to see what that looks like across the team here you know you've got 
At receiver this week, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different guys catching the ball this week. So Cornelius was spreading it around. Uh, I think three of those, three or four of those were different running backs or fullbacks. Uh, but I'm interested to see also with Arbuckle coming in, you know, who he's going to have chemistry with in the passing game. Greg Ellingson had a good game here for the Elks. He's had a couple of those this year, but they've been few and far between. He had over 100 yards. But other than that, the next best receiver on the day was Shy Ross at 34 yards. Uh, a guy you expect to lead the way, Darrell Walker, just one catch on five targets again for 11 yards. You, you mentioned uh, top biggest disappointments for 2021. I think you got to put Darrell Walker in that category. You know, homecoming back to Edmonton after going to Toronto uh, for a season or two. So many expectations for him. And it has just been a dismal year uh, for a guy that is uh, one of the top few highest paid receivers in the CFL. I think he might be the highest paid receiver in the CFL. So a disappointing season there. Disappointing season all around for Edmonton. It's been hard to find positives uh, with this team because I think oh, a good amount of this team, like with Ottawa, with Ottawa, yes, they've had a lot of terrible games as well, but I think they also have a lot of young pieces on that team where it's almost more frustrating from an Edmonton perspective because they have so many veteran players here that, you know, they aren't just a young team trying to find themselves still. It's a, it's a team, like you mentioned, that we picked to be top tier in the West Division that should be good, that just can't get it together on the field. Yeah, and I think this is a team that move a few pieces around, will have success. And we'll see what happens with their general manager, um, of course. But it's going to be very interesting. And I, I think if there's a team that's prime for a rebound, I think it very well might be this Edmonton team next year. Yeah, I'm interested to see what they do in the offseason, what changes they make in that regard. There's going to have to be a lot of changes, uh, I, I think would be fair to say, and we'll see what happens. Let's move on to the, uh, the third game of the week. This one was a wild one. Uh, the Toronto Argonauts beating the BC Lions 31-29 in overtime, a game that had absolutely no right in any way from either side of the ball uh, with what transpired in the final couple of minutes of making it to overtime. Um, yeah, this was a wild game uh, that the Argos ended up winning. Let's see, late in the game, we had BC with a, uh, a couple of tries here to go and kick a game-winning field goal down 23-21, five minutes to go, 37-yard field goal, Jimmy Camacco, uh, misses it uh, wide right. The ball goes out of bounds for a single. So it's 23-22. You know, Toronto uh, runs the clock down a little bit. BC gets a couple more tries, doesn't really get anything going. 53 seconds left in the game. 50-yard uh, field goal attempt this time. Camacho misses 
once again, or sorry, this one I think was blocked by the Argos. So you think 40, 50 seconds left in the game, huge block on a game winning field goal. They're going to win the game. Terrible, terrible clock management by uh, Ryan Dinwiddie here. They give BC the ball back with about 20 seconds left in the game. BC runs two quick plays. Uh, Camacho kicks another field goal, 37 yards for the win. Misses once again, gets the single. This game goes to overtime. And then we have in overtime, uh, both teams score a touchdown. But uh, the Lions failed to convert the two-point convert, and uh, Toronto goes on to win. What do you have to say about what you saw late in this one, Mike? If you wanted to introduce somebody to the CFL, just get them to watch the last five minutes, and they'll either come out really excited or really, 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 really confused. But, you know, that's the ports in the CFL versus uh, other football leagues. To me, I'll, I'll say this. I don't know how, if you're in first place in your division, you have that porous of clock management. Uh, that was awful. Uh, I don't know what was spot or what the idea behind that was. Uh, it's quite honestly... BC's kicker makes the field goal. Uh, it's not a good week in Toronto. Um, but let's just say that. But again, it's, it, I cannot overstate and state enough that, you know, you play the game to the end and you give yourself a chance and, BC gave themselves a chance, although they were given an opportunity to basically get back in the game. You, They took it. Uh, I realized there was two missed field goals, and that's another, that's another whole issue uh, in itself. But this one, to me, is just about the one that got away for Toronto. And if they would have lost this game, I, I, I think... You know, Montreal is right in there again with the, with the East Division. Um, Hamilton all of a sudden coming on. You know, there's going to be this year, I think, where first place in the East is going to mean a lot more this year, I think, than in past years. Just from a standpoint of, I think, those three teams, Hamilton... Toronto and Montreal are close, closer than people thought they would be. The other side of this is you want to eliminate your chance for error. So playing one game, your percentages of getting to the great top higher than playing two games even higher than potentially having to play both those games on the road. Now, that being said as well, um, kudos to Toronto for, you know, regrouping and making sure the team didn't get away from them. But 
I still feel like first place, particularly first place, didn't mean something. But other than that, it's whoever's going to show up on the day of the game and execute their game plan that is going to win this East Division. Because I, I say it week in and week out. Hamilton looks like the team right now, but we've seen spurts from Montreal, and we've also seen, to a larger extent, a larger uh, first-place sample size from Toronto. So, who's coming out of the East? I'm not sure. We ha- I think I have an idea, but my mind seems to change every week, and the Ardles need to stop inflicting themselves with a way to lose a football game. And better clock management goes a long way in that. And I'm not trying to say that, that you know, it was a mistake and who's to blame. I mean, if you lose that game, number one, you let BC back into the playoff picture. Uh, and number two, you damage your playoff situation. And I would argue lose control of your playoff situation as far as where you finish. If you're in first place, you control whether you want to finish in first place by winning. There's nobody in front of you. If you win, you stay where you are. So, again, even though it didn't hurt them, I would hope that this was a learning lesson to what happens if, you know, you're not if you're not careful and if you're not uh, very diligent, there are courts in the Canadian Football League that allow teams to get back in games, and the single point is one of them. But for BC, this is just another string of devastating losses. Uh, the Ryder game being one of them, uh, considering they had three lackluster results before this one, I'm not sure how they recover from this one because if they made one field goal, you know, we're talking about a completely different outcome. And this game changed the swing of the season for both these teams in very drastic ways. And the game is kind of a reflection of that. Yeah, for Toronto, uh, you talked about the home field advantage come playoff time being huge. I think for no team more than the Argos, who are 5-0 and at home now on the season, five of their seven wins have come at uh, BMO Field in Toronto. Uh, interestingly enough, I just took a look at the results from the year. You know, a close win, the, the Argos skate by by the skin of their teeth in this one, despite some mishaps there. Uh, this is now their fifth win on the year by a field goal or less. Five of their seven wins. They had two wins of one point each over the tie Cats earlier this year. They had this one. I think they had a couple games where they won by one or two or a field goal as well. So I, I see this uh, from two perspectives. One, this is a very fine line, and it's definitely, I'm sure, nerve-wracking for Argos fans to be teetering on it because, you know, if it uh, if a kid, any of these games go slightly the other direction, we're talking about uh, an entirely different season as a whole for Toronto. But I also look at it from the other perspective of good football teams find ways to win close games, and this is an encouraging thing, I think, 
for Toronto down the stretch because, uh, you know, you're getting into those playoff games. A lot of times they're tight games. Sometimes they're blowouts. But uh, you need the ability to win a tight football game. And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. But let's say, you know, you're, you're going up again. You make it to the Grey Cup if you're the Argos and you're facing a team like Winnipeg, who are the current favorites out West. Now, I think there are teams that can challenge them in the playoffs. But with the makeup of that Bombers roster right now, chances are you're not going to blow them out in a football game. So if you are going to capture that Grey Cup, you're going to need to win a close game. Now it certainly could still happen as a blowout. See the 2019 Grey Cup and the Almighty Tie Cats team. But my point being down the stretch, when the games matter most, you need the ability to win and you need to be able to come out on the right side of these games, even despite you know some some late game lapses there. So I give the Argos kudos for getting that done in uh in all of these games this year. Yep. And I think Games like this, um, games like this test the team's resolve, and I think the Argos will be a better team for it, despite just about losing the game. Yeah. Now, the big storyline, I think, for the Argos in this one was McLeod Bethel-Thompson, the new anointed franchise starter, as we mentioned last week after Nick Arbuckle was uh, shipped out. Uh, not exactly a glowing deb- debut uh, as the uh, the sole guy leading the ship here. Uh, full pun intended. I, I think I make that every week with the Argos. Uh, 23 of 37, 155 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Definitely not quite the game we were expecting out of him, especially going up against the BC defense that's been rather, uh, you know, porous in recent weeks and given up some big passing games. Uh, is there concern from you in that regard? Yeah. Um, this is interesting, right? Because, I think Riley threw for over 300 yards. Uh, for the, for, can't even recall the last time he did that this year, to be completely honest. But it's interesting how you can... I mean, this is the unique thing about the CFL, is you can throw the ball all you want and rack up all the yards you want. You can throw for 400 yards. 300 yards, and, you know, your opponent throws for whatever MBT threw for. It seemed to me like Toronto just did a little bit better of a job uh, protecting the football and compensating that way. And this is one of those games where if you looked at the stats, you would suggest that PC won the game, but Upon further review, they didn't. And it's just the beauty of football. It's just the beauty of sports. Hockey, the equivalent can be you outshoot a team quite substantially. The goalie bails you out, and you escape with a win. And that's sports, and it makes it fun. It makes it infuriating if your fan base is in the middle of it. But... Again, we saw a different side of the club, Bethel Thompson, this week. And, okay, I'm starting to get on board with this. McLeod Bethel Thompson is the future quarterback of the Ardles long term. But 
we'll see. I I liked what I saw. Uh, and like I said earlier, for BC, this is just fighting another way to lose. And we'll see. Yeah, I, I was not a fan of what I saw from Bethel Thompson. But, uh, you know, ball management, only the one pick. And, they hey, they still pulled out the win here. Uh, they leaned on the rushing game a little bit. Uh, and uh, kudos to Boris Beattie for uh, making, I think, five field goals on the day uh, and was named this morning. Uh, uh, he could be wrong here, but I think he was named one of the top performers of the week. So kudos to him. Switching over to the Lions perspective here. Yeah, I have, a, I have some... Uh, I guess hope I saw from them more so in this game. The bounce back was nice to see from uh, Riley and the Lions, you know, after after getting shut out last week against the Bombers. Uh, completion percentage wasn't there for Riley, only 52%. Uh, but 290 yards, three touchdowns and a pick was one of the top fantasy quarterbacks of the week. They also got some good production in the run game, finally, 69 yards uh, on 10 carries from James Butler. And, uh, you know, the Lions had every right to win this game. Uh, and really, that just kind of fell on the, the missed field goals at the end of the game. Three tries to get the win, and they failed to do so. Uh, I don't, I don't do, I think, the entire loss is solely on the kicker's shoulders. No, I think there are other plays. You could count probably a handful of plays at every position throughout this game that led to that. You know, what if Riley did complete? A couple more of those passes. What if they gave Butler the ball a little more often? Uh, what if the defense made one more big stop or one more turnover? You it's you can't really pinpoint a loss on a single guy. I think it's not fair because it is such there are so many plays in a football game. And yes, the the kicks are magnified uh because they were the chance to put points on the board. But uh, certainly, this we, you can't hand this loss solely to Jimmy Camacho. Yeah, and you know what? It's one of those scenarios, right? If you if you made one of those tests ten yards closer, you probably win the game. And Michael Shea always uses the the comment, "Oh yeah, three or four or five plays determine the fate of a football game." It's a football cliche, but that's what happened to BC, and I'm curious how they're going to recover from this. Kudos to their defense for getting back on the right track, though, uh, really stopping that Toronto passing game uh, and not letting them get much going in that regard. At receiver, we saw quite the rotation this week for BC. Uh, Lucky Whitehead back in the lineup after, uh, I think, a broken wrist or a broken hand or something like that. Missed only a couple games, and I was surprised to see him back already. He had kind of a you know, a cool start back in the lineup, uh, just 20 yards on two catches for him. They also had some changes. Uh, Lamar Durant's back on the six-game injured list. Devere Posey missed this game. Keon Hatcher missed this game. And uh, they got Dominic Rimes back from injury. And I think he had his best game of the year. Uh, he did play a couple games at the start of the year before going on the sixth game himself. Uh, six catches, 68 yards and a touchdown. I'm uh, really happy to see Rhymes, a guy who was, I think, a thousand yard receiver back in Ottawa in 2019, uh, came over to BC, was a non-factor, non-targeted at all in that offense early this season. And uh, I hope to see down the final stretch of games, him get uh, more usage there from the Lions. But things are looking bleak for them. They're not officially eliminated from the playoffs yet this week, but I think they uh, they can be relatively soon. 
Uh, they've got a pretty big matchup coming up, uh, not this week, but next week against the Calgary Stampeders. This week they face Hamilton, uh, but that could be a big game there. Calgary coming off of the bye week. If the Lions win this game, I believe that matchup against Calgary, if they win that one, would put them uh, ahead of the Stampeders in the standings coming into the final week. Don't quote me on that. I might have the math a bit wrong, but uh, fate is kind of in the Lions' own hands here, and it would have made a big difference could they have pulled out this win over Toronto. One of those, your playoff scenarios, like 80 or 70%, and now your playoff hopes are at 20-something. That's the kind of swing we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see how that transpires. Big matchup coming up in two weeks, potentially, between those two teams. Uh, Moving on to our final game of the week, This was the one I think we talked about last week. I think you mentioned this was going to be the game of the week. We were going to see a barn burner of a matchup between Saskatchewan and Montreal. I thought so, too. Uh, This game was very underwhelming in all aspects. Uh, 19-14, the Riders pull this one out. Uh, Yards of offense, Montreal had 351 and the ball for seven more minutes. The Riders had 243 yards of offense and the ball for seven last minutes, but they pull out a close win in this one. Uh, What happened here? Did the defenses just uh, show up and come to play a bit more than we expected, or uh, did the offenses fall flat? I, you know, personally speaking, I don't have a lot of issues with this game. Um, I you know, I I know I know I said it would be the game of the week, but I I think this is the preview of what we can see in the playoffs. Uh, you know, the a defensive minded, you know, couple of offensive plays decide this. What I can't, for the life of me, figure out is why the Alouettes went with that onside kit what they did. Um. And then story number two is why the heck you kick it in Duke Williams' direction, who has turned into a premier special teams player on top of being a very darn good receiver. He's one of the best hands team guys in the league now because I believe that's two weeks in a row where Duke Williams has made an impressive special teams uh Play. And if you look at it, that onside kit earlier is the difference between going down the field to get a touchdown versus shortening the field and going down the field to get a field goal. I didn't say being 2020, of course. But I'm, I'm really surprised they went for the onside kit when they did. Yeah, minute 26 left in the game, down by two, 16-14. The Alouettes go for the onside kick. As you mentioned, Duke Williams recovers. Uh, Saskatchewan ends up kicking a field goal to make it 19-14. Montreal does get the ball back with 47 seconds left. uh, Manages to get it to, I think it's their 54-yard line. Uh, but that is uh, as far as they get. So, uh, yeah, maybe it would have made a bit of a difference in how they managed that final drive if 
they didn't have to go for the touchdown. Uh, biggest storyline here. I mean, I mentioned it was an underwhelming day uh, in terms of offense in this game. Uh, Cody Fajardo had all the quarterbacks in this game in passing yards with 158. Uh, he had 56% passing. But the biggest storyline is the Montreal quarterback situation of Trevor Harris coming in later in this game. Matt Schultz starts the game 7 of 13, 106 yards in the pick. And uh, ends up, uh, I, I don't know if he was pulled. I didn't see enough of this game. Uh, do you know, Mike, was he pulled? Did he leave due to injury? Yeah, it sounds like it's an injury. Uh, Matt Schultz isn't even going to dress this week. From what I saw online yesterday, apparently he came down with a knee problem. Okay, so Schultz leaves the game. Trevor Harris comes in first time playing for the Montreal Alouettes after being traded there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and I thought Harris looked good and it was almost maybe, you know, some of Harris's best ball of the season, 12 of 15, 80%, 123 yards and a touchdown through the air. Also added 31 yards on the ground in a rare uh, moment of seeing Trevor Harris run with the ball. Uh, I feel like we don't see that too terribly often. Uh, he is going to get the start this week against Winnipeg, which, uh, you know, that's a whole nother story. We saw what happened last time he played against the Bombers. Uh, and, you know, part of me, if Schultz wasn't injured, I think Schultz would play this upcoming game, uh, still, uh, based on the matchup, but, uh, they're going to roll with Trevor Harris going forward. And it seemed like he had some quick chemistry with a couple of receivers and kind of leaned heavily on the guys we would expect, you know, your Eugene Lewis, your Jake Weineke, uh, tried to lean on them and look in their direction late there in that game. But uh, what do you think of uh, Trevor Harris uh, going forward here with Montreal? Yeah, I liked it. Uh, there's nothing in that game to me that, you know, when you come to a new team, you want to make that impression immediately. Obviously, because you want to contribute to your new team. Trevor Harris did nothing to harm Matt, that opening impression, if you will. And I think, aside from the injury, I I believe he would have gotten the start this week regardless. Um, just because of that performance. Uh, we did see him run the ball, which I thought was a... Which I thought was a noted improvement based on what we've seen from him in the past, and maybe that's a result of being around more talent. But you know, it, it's really interesting that I think I say this every week on the podcast, but I say it a different way. I'll say it this way this time. Trevor Harris to me is the wild card in the whole East Division playoff race. I know what Jeremiah Mazzoli's done in Hamilton the last couple weeks, but to me, if Trevor Harris comes out and is the Trevor Harris of two years ago, which I think in this game we saw flashes of, Montreal is going to be right there at the end. And especially one thing right now that Montreal seemingly has an advantage over, over 
even Toronto, but to a greater extent Hamilton, is they have a running back that when called upon, no disrespect to Don Jackson, who, you know, did a really good job this last week, but to me, I need to see more from him. But it's a, it's a guy like William Stanback and a guy like Trevor Harris that can guide a Montreal team through to what they hope is the Grey Cup. And I think there is, outside of Vernon Adams, there are no two guys in the lead that I would want channeling my offense in the last few games down the stretch run. And the next two weeks for Montreal are going to be statement games. It's a home-and-home with Winnipeg. Winnipeg is the best team in the CFL, which is weird to say coming out of my mouth. But you want to say and do something but your fan base says, yeah, we didn't win, but we had a great chance. We gave the defending great cup champions a run for their money in their place or in the rematch. So there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, intrigue, and I'm still on that Montreal has a chance to win scenario. I think Trevor Harris is going to find a renewed energy being with Montreal because by all accounts, things for him weren't going well in Edmonton. And I'll tell you, a playoff Trevor Harris, bad news for everybody. At one position, the Alouettes just haven't had uh, much luck or they've had a constant rotation this year is in the kick return game. And it's just bad luck for them now. They bring in, I, I mean, they had Mario Alford, who was uh, is one of the top returners in the league earlier this year. He went down due to injury. Then they rotated a bunch of guys through. They brought in a dedicated return man in Martise Jackson, who played his first game this week and left the game with a concussion. I mean, you, you can't make this up. Montreal just constantly having to rotate through return men this season. Uh, interesting note there. But so let's touch on the Riders. They pull out the win here, despite, you know, not a great day from their offense. They do clinch themselves a playoff spot. Uh, by the way, we forgot to mention that as well. Toronto also locking in their playoff spot officially. So uh, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, and Toronto are officially going to the playoffs. Uh, three more spots up for grabs still. Uh, but the Riders found a way to get it done here. And I think uh, kudos to them defensively because this was a team that I didn't expect a whole ton from defensively coming into this year just because they had so much turnover from the week before uh, or from the year before, sorry, the season before. Uh, but they've had a lot of guys step up and be big playmakers on that defense this year. And I think they stepped it up big time this week. You know, they put up, five sacks in this game and an interception. Montreal, uh, to their credit, has had a very good offensive line this year, has given up very few sacks on the season, I believe. Uh, but the Riders' defense kind of stepped up and led the way when normally I feel like we would expect the offense to do it. 
What do you think of the play of the defense? And uh, with the new additions, Shaq Evans, Duke Williams, are you surprised we haven't seen the Riders' offense take off in the past couple of weeks? Yeah, this to me, Ryan, is interesting because I think we're starting to see a Saskatchewan defense round into form. Uh, this is the defense that I think can play any way you want. Shut down the run, shut down the pass. Uh, you can shot the quarterback. You can play all kinds of different exotic stuff. So you can line up at the line, show the offense one other look. Um, if it's not there, then you can change. Uh, you can call timeout. They seem to have player personnel flexibility. But the one thing that I know we're probably going to get into into this coming week and all their injuries in practice, but they seem to me to have found a way to take, and I don't know if it's because their defense has been so good this last week, they seem to have found a way to take the pressure off their offensive line, which to me has been a a sore spot for them this year with all the retirements and opt-outs and injuries and that kind of thing. But it all kind of meshes together, right? You know, your kicker kicks the other team deep. Your defense gets a three and out. Your offense gets on the field to um, to help uh, with help from your defense, of course. And I I think we're really starting to see the units really in Saskatchewan complement each other, starting with that defense. And I think Coach Dickinson said it best, and I'm paraphrasing. I don't believe we've seen the best from Saskatchewan yet either. And that's okay, because now we know they're in the playoffs. And they want to be playing their best football, leading into a game that I think is going to be against Calgary. But stranger things have happened. Yeah, and I think you have so many talented receivers there, like Shaq Evans, Duke Williams, Kyron Moore, who I know has uh, had a knee injury the past couple of days, and even the young guys like like Braden Lenius and Keon Schaefer Baker. Uh, I could see any of those guys all of a sudden stepping up with a big performance, especially come playoff time. So uh, the Riders could be a dangerous team with the defense playing like it has uh, in the last little bit and with the offense, you know, having all of that talent available to them. Let's move on to uh, taking a look ahead to week number 14. But first, let's uh, touch on the uh, CFL fantasy results from the past week. Uh, in the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy League, I took on uh, Rod Gomez from the Wood Cookie Sawcast and pulled out a win uh, this week. Uh, it was a good matchup, but I managed to pull it out, uh, improving to 9-4 and four on the season uh, second place tied for first, but uh, a couple points back in the overall tiebreaker in that regard. Andrew from the Turf District still holding on to that first place spot. Uh, I have officially clinched my playoff spot. Uh, three weeks left in the regular season, and then the playoffs align with 
the CFL playoffs. And, uh, and then anybody who's in has a shot from there. Happy to have my spot uh, punched with a playoff ticket. Uh, this week, I am going up against uh, Joe from the uh, Rouge, White, and Blue podcast. Uh, so that should be a good matchup. He's had a couple great scores this year. He's just been uh, kind of unlucky at times with a tough, really close matchup. So uh, make sure you check out uh, the Wood Cookie Sawcast, the Rouge, White, and Blue podcast, and all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. In our fantasy league between Mike and I, uh, this week I did pull a little bit further ahead. Uh, overall scores, 100 or scores on the week, I had 110.8, Mike had 85.5. Uh, I'm now ahead by about 40 points in the overall totals with three weeks ago. Uh, a couple big performances from some Stampeders leading the way for me Kadeem Carey with 21.6, Kamar Jordan 19.9. Uh, Mike's go-to player of the week, uh, Greg Ellingson at 17.1, Rene Paradis at 14, and uh, a couple disappointing performances on either side for us. Uh, Lucky Whitehead not really getting anything going, James Wilder Jr. also not, and Jake Weineke, uh, disappointment for me at 4.4. Your thoughts on week 13 of CFL Fantasy, Mike? I knew I was fried the minute. Uh, James Wilder Jr. didn't have a great game. I just didn't have a great feeling about the whole weekend. Uh, oh, well, lick your wounds and get on to the next week. Changes are coming, Ryan. Changes are coming because I'm not happy. I'm looking forward to seeing what tinkering you do with your roster. Getting into CFL Pick'em. Uh, last week I ended up going three and one, uh, if Montreal could have pulled out the win, the only game I got wrong was the stupid coin flip where I flipped a coin to decide Montreal and Saskatchewan and the coin landed on the wrong side. I blame that. Uh, maybe I shouldn't do that again. I believe you went two and two. Uh, you had taken the lions in the upset over Toronto, which kudos to you, uh, almost happened, uh, and probably should have if, uh, you know, one of a million different things could have gone right for BC. But let's see what we can do this week in the uh, in the CFL pick -em. Two games Friday, two games Saturday for week 14. It all kicks off Friday night. Hamilton hosting BC. Uh, the pick trend amongst people, uh, fans picking the winners. What do you think that is for Hamilton hosting BC, and uh, who are you taking to win, Mike? 88 to 12 is my guess in favor of Hamilton, and I'm taking Hamilton to win. Uh, 91 to 9 was the trend uh, for Hamilton, so you're pretty pretty close on that one. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I just don't have a good feeling based on what I saw from BC last week and the last few weeks leading up, but they can uh, but they can put up a fight. I'm I'm. I'm curious what the line is in this one as far as uh, points, but again, I don't think it really matters. Uh, BC to me hasn't shown any in twin that they're coming out of this anytime soon, and they run into a team in my mind which is running into form for what they think and hope will be a great cup on home field. Yeah, and from a, I, I'm taking the Tie Cats as well. And from a fantasy perspective, I think this is going to be a big game that a lot of people lean on because uh, 
You got Mazzoli, who's, I think, three games straight over 300 yards going up against one of the league's worst pass defenses. I think the Ticats are taking this one. Uh, although BC's got to put up a big fight here to keep the playoff hopes alive. Uh, so maybe that motivates them to, uh, to make it at least close. Uh, but I still like Hamilton a little bit more. Getting into the second game of the week, we have uh, Edmonton hosting Saskatchewan, which I think this might be the first matchup between these two teams this year, believe it or not. Uh, divisional matchup only playing each other this late in the season seems a bit odd, but uh, Edmonton hosting the Riders. What's the pick trend and who are you taking? I can't imagine this is a close pick trend just based on the fact of the... Uh... Edmonton injured list, which has Ellison, which has Wilder, which has a whole bunch of bunch of guys on there. Um, yeah, I think this is ninety to ten in favor of uh, Saskatchewan, and I expect, regardless who plays at quarterback, that this will be a victory by ten or more points for the Riders. It has to be. It has to be because. You want to send a fan base into a panic? <laughs> that would be losing this game if you're if you're Saskatchewan. You cannot afford that. You are talking about a home playoff game against Calgary. You can virtually clinch that if you win. Because Calgary is on a bye this week. Um, to, to me, everything's pointed riders here, and uh, I'm going riders as well. Yeah, 94 to 6 is the percentage in favor of the Riders. I'm going Saskatchewan as well. I think they are obviously the better football team. Edmonton's got a lot of things to figure out here. Uh, and they aren't particularly good at home, uh, Edmonton. They seem to actually be playing better on the road this season. Uh, I'm expecting a bounce back game and the offense to click a little bit more for Saskatchewan here. Uh, you know, I think each week, they're just going to get more involved, you know, Williams, Evans, et cetera, will get a little more involved in the offense. So I have the Riders taking this one, although I would love to see Arbuckle come in, first start with the Elks, light it up, and uh, pull them out to a win. I think that would be that would be a nice result, and I just kind of want that for Elks fans after what they've endured from a team that had so much hope coming into the season and has uh, fallen flat. So I, I hope the Elks pull this out. Uh, with the Arbuckle at the helm, but I am taking the Riders. Uh, and then getting into the Saturday games, it starts off with the Ottawa Red Blacks hosting the Toronto Argonauts, uh, the Argos uh, on the road here. Uh, pick trend and your pick. 95 to 5 for Toronto. 94 to 6. You were so close. <laughs> Oh, and by the way, I'm not doing this with a monitor in front of me. These are just pure guesses. Um, yeah, I, the logic says Ottawa doesn't have a chance in this one. Something tells me this is a trap game. I'm going to take Ottawa to upend Toronto by a field goal. There's something... There's something that I saw last week that doesn't sit well with me with Toronto. And I think Ottawa has one more inspired effort in them. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be ugly. Uh, I really, really, really think that this is a trap game for the Ardles and they fall into the trap. 
and Ottawa wins in by a field goal here. Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go the safe pick and take the Argos on this one. I think uh, the fact that they won last week against BC, despite having basically nothing going on offense and uh, almost blowing it a couple of times late in the game, uh, and they still pulled out the win. Now with the matchup with Ottawa, I gotta go Toronto's direction here. I think they're gonna bounce back well. Although to be fair, they are on the road and they don't play great on the road, but I still think they win this game handily. Uh, and then final matchup of the week. This should be a good one. Start of a doubleheader between them. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers hosting the Montreal Alouettes. Final home game of the year for the Bombers. Looking to go perfect at home on the season. Uh, first of all, what do you think the trend is? And while I have a feeling based on your track record, we know where your pick is, but tell us anyways. Uh, yeah, though I think the pit trend is 75-25 for Winnipeg. 92 to 8 Winnipeg. Oh boy. Oh boy. I I uh, I I understand that this game looks lopsided, but that to me is a little absurd. Just given the fact that we don't necessarily know what the Blue Bombers roster looks like this week. There seems to be some kind of inclination that some guys will sit, some guys will come in. O'Shea said yesterday they hadn't really made any decisions. I'm picking the Bombers to run the table at home. I'm doing it. I'm no, doing Mike, it. you're going to ruin it. No. <laughs> First time this year, I am picking the Bombers. Why? Don't do it. Don't do it. Ugh. Uh, if this, I'm text. If the Bombers lose this game, I am texting you right after, and you are getting a text with the words, "This is your fault." <laughs> oh man, I just, I just couldn't do it to myself. I told myself I'm going to pit the Bombers one time this year because they are that good. This is that one week where I feel they're going to win. And I feel they're going to run the table at home. And don't you dare tell anybody in that locker room that they don't know what is at stake. The Bombers will play a lot of their top end guys. That is my suspicion. Come out of the bye week, and I'm totally expecting about a 10-point victory over Montreal. Next week, however, in Montreal, bit of a different story. But for this week, it didn't want to pay by 10. And they're going to go a perfect record at home. And they'll begin their preparations for a Western final. Now, now to be clear, this isn't the first week of the year Mike has thought the Bombers are going to win. I think you, you thought they were going to win most weeks just uh, for good luck charm. Uh, because it worked back in 2019. You just kept picking against them. But uh, now you're breaking in. That makes me... Uh, pretty nervous so uh, we'll see if that means anything or if this is all just uh, meaningless uh, this week I'm taking I'm taking the Bombers uh, at home as well to win this one uh, maybe I'll lean the other direction next week in Montreal as well but uh, no I think this team at home uh, has wants to go out make sure they get the uh, the perfect record there and I think uh, I think they'll rest maybe next week uh, a couple guys a little bit more, but uh, should see a, the bulk of the starting lineup again this week for Winnipeg. So I will take the Bombers 
in what I think will be a close game, though, with Montreal this week. Uh, so that's our picks for week number 14. Uh, Mike, as we wrap up the show here, uh, anything you want to plug and where can people find what you all have going on? What I have going on, www.gametimetv.ca, uh, facebook.com, backslash gametimetvmb. You can also find me on uh, mikefmwinnipeg.com as well, although that uh, URL will be changing in the next two weeks. But, uh, no, I appreciate everyone's support so far, and uh, we hope to continue uh, putting out some nice content for people to watch, uh, both free and, of course, via paid subscriptions. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about how that's come together. Um, I'm very appreciative for people's support, and I uh, would appreciate if you, if everybody would check that out too, and uh, leave a note. And one thing I really appreciate too, um, just on a separate note as well. Um, you know, I, I do read a lot of the comments that come uh, to us from the interaction side of the podcast. I know when Ryan puts the show up, there is a lot of interest and a lot of retweeting that happens. Um, I have had some discussions with uh, a lot of people, all of which have been nothing but positive. I appreciate the positive dialogue with a lot of our listeners um, and just the genuine excitement for uh, CFL content and the CFO in general. Whether I agree with your take, your take that's another whole <laughs> situation in itself. But I, I just want to say thank you to our, our podcast listeners. And I know there's a bunch of loyal, loyal uh, listeners that attempt to listen to our podcast whenever they can. Just wanted you just wanted you all to know that uh, I personally appreciate all of you. Well said. I couldn't have said it better myself, and I agree with that sentiment wholeheartedly. Also, check out everything Mike's got going on uh, with all of the content at those places. If you're a big fan of uh, junior hockey in Manitoba, I recommend you check it out. He's got a lot of great uh, content and games being broadcast there. I uh, can find him on Twitter as well, at Mike Garrell see everything he's got going on there for myself you can find me on twitter at cooper trooper 42 and if you're interested in the cfl fantasy side of things uh we touch on it uh slightly here on the podcast but i go very in depth all week long on the on over on youtube on a show called the canadian football fantasy fix you can find that on youtube uh i do positional previews for every position for the week for cfl fantasy uh, I do depth chart updates as well later in the week uh, to help you get all set for locking in your fantasy lineup. So you can check that out on YouTube or follow me on Twitter uh, and see uh, the fantasy football related tweets there uh, for all of your CFL fantasy content for our podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM if you want to chat CFL football with us there. Uh, whatever pod podcast platform you're listening to this on, we would appreciate it. If you leave a rating, a review, a like, a follow, subscription, whatever the terminology is on your go-to podcast platform, do all the do all the things. Uh, we love uh, all of the positive feedback, as Mike has mentioned. 
And uh, make sure you also check out uh, all the other great shows around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. You can find all of them at CF Pod Network on Twitter. Lots of great content as we uh, wrap up the CFL's regular season in the next couple of weeks and start getting into playoff mode. And then, of course, a fun offseason, I'm sure, to follow. Uh, that does it for this week's episode. We'll be back again next week uh, to recap week number 14 and take a look ahead to the uh, the second last week of the season, week number 15. Uh, that's everything for today. For Michael Garrow, I'm Ryan Coop saying, as always, thank you for listening. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.